Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green and I'm your host. It's Christmas Eve. It's the night before we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ into the world. It's a world that's in darkness is the way that scripture describes it. Um, a world that was lit only by darkness now comes to light with the light of God coming into the world, the, the preeminent light. Literally what Jesus calls himself is, I am the light of the world. And so, so a world that was lit only by darkness suddenly is changed. It's transformed by the coming of God into the world, right? I mean, that's the simplest way to say it. If, if you were to, to have somebody come and ask you, so I, I don't know anything about Christianity, but I've heard about this religion called Christianity. How would you describe it? And you, you would say something like, well, it's the story of God coming into the world and, and taking on sin, allowing himself to be crucified on a Roman cross in what we would say is the first century AD, so a couple thousand years ago, and by the members of his own religious community primarily who are responsible for this, the Jews, um, they're the ones who are demanding it, not the Romans, but they can't carry out the sentence. They have to leave that to the Romans. And so he's crucified, and then three days later, he, he after he has died, he comes back, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's the way you say it, right? That's the way you would tell that story is something roughly along those lines. But it would begin with God came into the world. The, if you said it that way, any person you told that story to, if you said it's the story that God came into the world, etc., etc., that person who hears that, unless you specifically tell them otherwise, would never, ever in a million years imagine you were talking about a baby. Absolutely no possibility that anybody would imagine. God came into the world as a vulnerable baby born in a manger in some outpost of the Roman Empire called Bethlehem. And that when he came into the world, that he did so in the normal way. Not by normal means, certainly, because Mary was a virgin, and God somehow impregnated her with his child. That being that, nobody would imagine he came into the world in the usual way. That he was born in a stable in a backwater, because there was no room for him to be born in the inn. Nobody made accommodation for the woman who gave birth to God. Nobody. They said, here, you can stay out here in the cave, in the, sh in the stable, whatever it was. And, yeah, you should have everything you need there. You got the hay to lie him in and all that kind of stuff. So you got a blanket, right? You do have a blanket? Okay, good, cool. You got a blanket. He'll be good. That Nobody would, would imagine this part of the story. And you probably wouldn't think to tell it. But it's what happened, and it's the most extraordinary thing of all. I saw something this morning. There was Somebody had asked a, a basket, basketball coach. They had asked him something, and he said, I'm sorry, I really feel for my players because the way our schedule is this year, they can't go home for Christmas. And it's the most important day that we celebrate in our country. 
I don't know why he said it exactly that way in our country, but somebody immediately responded and said, no, that would be Easter. And it's such a Protestant response, and it's such a response that would have characterized most of my life. But, but, but that's the issue with this, right? Because what it, what it is is it's essentially if you tell this story, if you tell this to a non-Christian, then you've got to kind of start it by saying, you want me to tell you about Christianity? You want me to tell you that story? You'd more or less have to start this way. There's a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. Its dimension is vast as space and as timeless as infinity, in the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It's an area which we call the twilight zone. That's how you'd have to start this story, exactly the way Rod Serling started the old television show. And, and, but we miss it. One of the things that I came to love right from the beginning um, of my experience in liturgical worship when we became Episcopalians at the time, uh, Anglicans now, was, was the rhythm of the church year and the focus on the events of the church year, not just on Christmas and Easter, and, and, and not really just on Easter, as the, this guy pointed out by saying, no, it's Easter is the most important thing. But there's not an Easter without a Christmas, and so Christmas has to be important. And the other stuff that we do between Christmas and Easter is sort of celebration of, of the revelation of Jesus. That's the epiphany season. We focus on different events in the life of Jesus where, where he's being revealed to the world. And then we move into that awful time of Lent when we fast from things and, and we move into more somber um, sort of worship and all that. And, and so then we come to what we say is the blazing joy of Easter, and then we move from that through the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and then we get to Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and then we move and we're studying mostly the teaching of Jesus through the rest of the year until we come to Advent and we start this whole process again. But, but what it does is it slows me down. It makes me focus and think about Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, because it's dramatically important because without the incarnation then you don't have the crucifixion the resurrection and the ascension you you got to have all of that but without the incarnation there is no easter and so we do well to stop slow down and marvel at the miracle that is indeed the resurrect the the resurrection, I've already done it myself. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming of God into the world that he created. And it is a time when we should take it a little slower. We, we don't need to rush through it. It's the reason there's one week of Easter, but there's well, two weeks that we celebrate the incarnation. So... I want to think about that with you just for a couple of minutes today. We're not going to do it. We're not going to be here very long because it's Christmas and people have other things to do. And hey, you've got much better stuff to listen to, frankly. You've got great choirs. You've got great music beyond belief that you could be listening to and worshiping and adoring the child born in that manger that day. And so what I want to do is start in a very strange place, but I kind of want to end in that same strange place. And I want to start with um, a concept that comes from the Jewish Passover celebration. And what's the Passover? The Passover is, is the celebration of 
everything that begins in Egypt and ends in the land. And so there's a song that's sung in that um, celebration, and it's called Dainu. And let me give you some of Dainu. And Dainu means it would have been enough. So here's the lyrics. It says, if he had brought us out from Egypt and had not carried out judgments against them, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had carried out judgments against them and not against their idols, it would have been enough, Dainu. If he had destroyed their idols and not smitten their firstborn, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had smitten their firstborn and not give us their wealth, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had given us their wealth and not split the sea for us, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had split the sea for us, but not taken us through on dry land, it would have been enough. If he had taken us through the sea on dry land, it had not drowned our oppressors in it, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had drowned our oppressors in it, it had not supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had fed us the manna and not given us the Shabbat, the Sabbath, Dainu, it would have sufficed. If he had given us the Sabbath and had not brought us before Mount Sinai, it would have been enough. If he had brought us before Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah, it would have been enough. If he had given us the Torah and not brought us into the land of Israel, it would have been enough. If he had brought us into the land of Israel and not built for us the temple, it would have been enough. That song makes no sense at all. None. <clears throat> it wouldn't. <laughs> It wouldn't have been enough in so many ways because if he doesn't drown their oppressors, for instance, then, well, they're slaughtered. If he started at the beginning, if he, hadn't, um, if he had brought us out and had not carried out judgments, it would have been enough. No, it did. he had to crush the oppressor. He had to, had to have retribution against those who had killed their children. And so each one of these things, is, it would have been enough. And is it? Would it? I don't, I, yeah, I don't think so. But the point of Dainu is to do something else. It's to say, how do we thank God for what he did for us? Well, it's like the way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. If you can't be um, thankful for every step along the way and say that was so much that we're not worthy of it, that's what it means ultimately is it would have been enough it would have been it would have been more than we were worthy of and so it slows us down and that same idea is the liturgical calendar in a lot of ways is that we have to slow down and we have to to take this one step at a time we have to be thankful for one thing at a time and, and we don't have to jump to the ending we know the ending but we don't have to jump there and give thanks to that and say no the most important thing is this well no the most important thing is the the process because we live in a world of becoming and when that child is born that child has to grow has to live has to have a life and and what it says that God came into the world as a baby not just as an adult and not just makes a miraculous appearance he comes in the most vulnerable form but but the least frightening form possible although the shepherds might have had an opinion about the frightening way in which God came into the world the shepherds who are confronted by an angel and it says they're sore afraid the angel has to tell them to fear not and then gives them the good great news of what is to come and we know those words and we love those words <clears throat> what they say is this fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born in this day 
in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on the earth peace, good, peace and goodwill among those with whom he is well pleased. And then the angels left. But, but they were afraid. Remember when there was one angel? And, and then a multitude of the heavenly host, thousands of angels suddenly showed up. Can you imagine how the shepherds felt when that suddenly burst onto the scene? But afterwards they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. It'd be hard to, to say, yeah, cool. Huh. Let's not bother now. Let's go on. No, they went and they said, see this thing that's happened which the Lord made known to us, to the shepherds. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, so they told other people. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And what we see is right from the start, God telling oddball people like shepherds, and then the old man, Simeon, in the temple when Jesus is brought there, and then Anna, the prophetess, who is there. God's revealing it to them along the way. Why? Because they're looking for the coming of the Messiah into the world. And Simeon had been promised that. Anna was looking for it. Had been there in the temple many years as well, looking for that. These shepherds, what are they doing? They are shepherding a specific flock. It's the temple flock. These are the lambs. This is the flock that produces the lambs that will be Passover sacrifices. And Jesus, the ultimate Passover sacrifice, is born among them as a little child. But that little child gives hope all along the way. His life matters. The things that he did matter all along the way. The revelations that come at the baptism of John and the various places along the way, including things like the transfiguration when Jesus is up on the mountain with James and John and Peter and, and the revelation comes of this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All those revelations matter. The life of Jesus matters. You can't just jump forward to Easter and give thanks just for that in, any, in the same way that, that the Jews can't just give thanks for being in the land, being in the temple. They, and especially in exile, people who are no longer in the land, who no longer have a temple even in the land. It, it's a matter of giving thanks for all those things along the way. And so God comes and takes the form of a little child to say life matters. Your life matters. The way you live it matters. It bears testimony to him. Your life is infused with new meaning at the time you take Jesus Christ into your life. When you confess him as Savior and you're baptized and given the Holy Spirit with which to testify Him to him and glorify him through your life. It gives you the possibility of new life comes along with this package. Titus, in the passage we read from the epistle today, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to make you meet for God's love, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of 
the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The covenant begins in the birth of this child. But the life of the child also matters, not just the death, resurrection, and ascension of this man. Nope. God chose to come in an incredible, vulner incredibly vulnerable and non-threatening way because it had to come down to faith, ultimately, not fear. God didn't come into the world in the form of a child in order to cause fear and bring that into the world. No, it's a continuation of the covenant work that begins in Noah, when after the flood, the bow that we call the rainbow is hung in the clouds, but the word doesn't refer to the rainbow, it refers to God's battle bow. Is hung in the clouds, and, and what it's saying is, is that I'm no longer at war with humanity, and when I see that, I'll remind myself that I'm no longer at war with humanity, and it's a wonderful thing to have a God who's not at war with humanity, because he's every re right and reason to be at war with humanity, but, but early, early on in the story, and the story includes all of these things, so again, if we want to do our own dainu, it would begin way back. If he had only done this, it would have been enough. If he had only done this, it would have been enough. And the story of God's people is the story of God's people, whether it is us in the new covenant or whether it's those in the old covenant, because there's no new covenant without the old covenant. So we've got to remember that. And so God begins his covenant-making work in, in the putting of the bow in the clouds to remind us of that. And so then here we come at Christmas and we come to the incarnation of Jesus Christ and this year was special because we got to see what many people believe and I'm doing a podcast just on this was the Bethlehem star another sign in the heavens that God sets in the night heavens as a sign that the covenant is taking one more step. And so that one more step it goes beyond God is not at enmity with us. He's not at battle and at war with humanity. What it is is the popular saying for this year, we're in it together. That's God's word to humanity in the coming into the world in the form of a little child, in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem in a stable a couple thousand years ago. Isn't You're not alone. We're in it together. Not only am I not at war with you, I'm here with you. Emmanuel, God with us. You need not fear because he comes in the form of a little child. God accomplished the greatest miracle anybody could ever imagine by coming into the world this night in the form of that little child and angels heralded it to shepherds who came and saw and wondered. And then later at the end of this Christmas season, on January the 6th, we will celebrate Epiphany, the story of the wise men who followed that star to that stable in Bethlehem. And there they worshipped the Christ child, the one that we celebrate today. Let us indeed worship him, for joy has come into the world in the form of a little child to say to humanity, we're in it together. Thank you for listening. This has been Faith Seeking Understanding. And again, I'm John Green, and I'm your host. I look forward to being with you again uh, just in a couple of days now because Sunday's coming.